Hey, we started a series um, two weeks ago, and this is week three of a series uh, we've entitled Serenity Now. So many people are looking for peace in their life, and even Christians are looking for peace in their life as we follow God. But there's turmoil, there's anxiety, there's offense, there's relationship hurts, there, there, there's uh, marital hurts, there's, there, there's parenting hurts, there's uh, occupational hurts, there's, there's hurts around every single corner. And so I began the series talking about Galatians 5, which talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And I believe if we could get these fruits of the Spirit in our life, I think on the inside we would find serenity now. But isn't this list so difficult to hold on to all of the time? As I shared before, two or three of these are probably rocking in your life, and you're like, man, I got me some joy and some peace, but kindness? My wife has said I'm not as kind lately, right? Come on, not, not just to pick on the men, but uh, uh, um, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, I got that down, but my husband says self-control, or, or with my kids, I've got no self-control, I just short fuse. Come on, we all have our issues, and that's because, as we've been sharing, Satan has his own list. It's the flesh list that's described in the same chapter. And all of these are trying to pull us back to hostility and fighting and jealousy and anger, selfishness, dissension and division. And this is, uh, uh, it's got bait traps on it. It is baited because just like, a, just like a fly trap in your house, I have had more conversations about fly traps throughout the house. Come on, this past week, because of last week's illustration, we had a party for our, uh, our middle uh, uh, child's birthday yesterday. Everybody came in asking where the fly traps are at. I told you I put them away whenever public's coming. Just like we all try to hide our stuff whenever people are coming. But that side is baited because the enemy wants us to stick over there and to live over there. So with that in mind, let's jump into this week's message. And I hope you're ready to take notes because I'm going to move swiftly i'm going to share a lot of scripture and i'm going to give it to you so that you can study this stuff throughout the week and let it sink in for you but but i want to pray right now and i want it to be something that that this message speaks to you as this message has been speaking to me i'm about to preach something that i have been living and trying to apply regularly so so i, I believe that this will be a benefit for all of us if all of god's people will do this as well so pray with me Father, we eliminate distractions right now, and we say, Father, whatever you want to speak, let it hit home. Let it pierce like an arrow. Let it go right in, and then, Father, let your word that never returns void have power to transform our lives so that we don't leave the same, but we are transformed by your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agrees said, amen. amen. Matthew chapter 26. I want to read this scripture as like a theme for, for today's message. Matthew 26, Jesus is nearing the cross. It, it, it's getting close. His time is dwindling down. And it says, Then one of the twelve disciples, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he asked, Hey, hey um, what are you willing to give me for him? Let's, let's do a business transaction. Let's exchange money. Let's do win-win. Let's, let's, let's help each other out. Let's scratch each other's back. How much are you willing to give me for the information I possess? How much are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? 
So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. They did a business transaction. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them. Um, we've been talking about a spirit of offense lately. There is the spirit of offense has also kindred to a spirit of gossip. It's a spirit of division. It's a spirit that tries to divide, attack, and to slander. It's a spirit that tries to demise and to think about destructive ways to blow things up and to blow people up. It's a spirit that when the spirit gets on you, you walk away from a conversation feeling icky, ugly, maybe even used, also guilty. I know I can't be the only person in this room where you start thinking, why in the world did I get baited into talking about them? Why in the world did I get baited into talking about that or this? That was not my finest hour. This was not my finest moment. And last week I taught how offense is coming after all of us. Scripture says it is impossible that no offense will come to you in your life, which means we've all had offense show up in our life and we will all have it come knocking at our door again. So we're all in the same boat. And with that in mind, I told you this week that I would share how to stay out of the scandalous bait. That the word offense means scandalon in the Greek. It means a scandal, a trap. It is scandalous to get caught up in this. And so today's message, as I promised last week, was a message I've titled, Seven Ways to Handle Scandal. Seven ways to handle scandal, and I sure hope you take notes, because you won't memorize all of these. Don't lie to yourself. You're really smart, but none of us are that smart. Come on, we'll, we'll label, name two or three, but I want you to write these down and also study them this week. Number one, the first way to handle scandal, number one, and I'm talking about when someone comes to you with news that you know is not for you. When someone approaches you with stuff that's outside of the realm that God has uh, portioned for you, here's the first of three ways to do before it is even shared. Number one, train the source. You have to train the source. You have to tell them, hey, uh, well, before you share anymore, is this information for me? Do, do I need to hear this information? And, and, and the reason I say that is because when you get into your, your Bible, in the Old Testament, there was the first ever king of Israel named King Saul. The second ever is the one we all know, his name was King David. Went down as a man after God's own heart. The first one had a good start as a ruler, and then he lost his mind. Literally, went insane. He, like a like a dog, uh, like a like a dog chasing down a bait. He could not stop sniffing a certain bait of offense, and he went hunting down David wherever he went. The Bible says that the first time he hunted him down, David could have chopped his head off and instead just took a little piece of his robe. And then when it was safe, he came out and said, look, Saul, I could have killed you. I have I, I mean, you no harm. And Saul shares with everybody, I can't believe I've acted like such a fool. You are the better man. Can you imagine uh, troops that are allegiant to a king? And the king is saying, I'm a lesser man than this one we've been trying to attack. I can't believe that I had a moment of insanity. Let's all go home. The problem with King Saul, though, is he had told everybody, wherever David goes, report his whereabouts to me. 
In other words, I want every bit of gossip and talk and locations and can you believe he did this? Can you believe he said that? Can you believe he's over here? Can you believe he's stirring up men? Can you believe people are following him? Can you believe? Can you believe? Can you believe? And what he would do was reward you. He would say, you're rewarded. I don't know if he was giving them money or if he was giving people titles, but he was rewarding messengers. Bring me the juicy gossip on my enemy who isn't really my enemy. He admitted he's not my enemy. But because he didn't turn the source off, because he didn't communicate to the closest people around him, don't bring me any more junk on David. Don't talk about him anymore in my presence. If you do, you'll never be in my presence again. He did not do that. And the Bible says on one occasion, someone said, hey, did you know David's in this city over here? And immediately he lost his mind again. Like a trigger went off. Some of us have been triggered this way before too, where we thought, I'm healed from that. I don't have an offense with that. I don't have any unforgiveness with that. And then they say, can you believe what they did? And you're like, oh my goodness, we're taking them out. We're going to social media. We're rallying up an army. We're going to get an army of offense and we're all going to go attack King David. And I wonder if some of them were going, didn't we go through this before? Isn't this insanity? Aren't we losing our minds? What kind of leader are we following? And he lost his kingdom because he could not train the source. Don't bring me any more junk on that. King David, on the other hand, I hope you don't go to this extreme, but I think it's so extreme so that we realize how extreme it needs to be in our life. You know what King David did whenever someone brought news of, hey, guess what? Saul is over here. He said, bring that man outside in front of public. I'm gonna chop his head off in front of everybody. My brother chopped his head off in front of everybody. And he said, let this be known never to bring news of his whereabouts again. I don't have an offense with him. I don't have an issue with him. I don't want to sit around talking about him all day. God's got a plan for me, and so I'm going to cut off this kind of news. Only two times did it happen in Scripture, and guess what? David went two for two on beheadings. He said, you didn't believe me the first time? Bring this guy out. He beheaded a second person. It's like the only time I've seen him judicially take someone's head off. Why? Because he was saying, stop bringing me. Don't try to bait me with stuff that's none of my business. And I'm here to say that many of us make our business stuff that's not our business at all. Stuff that doesn't belong coming to us. And sometimes it's not our own fault unless you didn't train the source. Because have you ever had your parents say before that um, you're, you're guilty by association, right? That scared the crap out of me when I was a little kid. Anybody, anybody else learn that thing and get really scared? My, my parents were like, if you're with your friends and they go into a gas station and they take a Snickers and you're with them and you don't say anything, not only are they getting locked up, you get locked up too and we're not letting you out. Come on. I'm just like, no, no nobody take any Snickers. Am I the only one with a deathly fear of guilty by association because of the way my parents laid it on heavy? Guess what God says is also what happens to us when we're nonchalantly associating with the offended and being complicit with their gossip. The Bible says that it would be better for a noose to be tied around our neck and thrown into a sea than for offense to come through you. We can't allow gossip to come through us. In fact, the word 
gossip is this. It means a talebearer. In other words, to take a story and to literally give it legs. This story could stop here, but because I like it, and because it would be a good topic of conversation around the table, and because it would be a postable thing, oh, I'll leave names out, but everybody knows who I'm talking about, right? Come on. And, and, and I'm going to give this story legs. That's called gossip. And gossip is so loosely defined in our, even in Christianity, where we're just like, that's not gossip, that was a prayer request. That was, that was on the grayscale right there, right? Because I think you wanted to just tell people more than you wanted to pray. Because the amount of talking about it exceeded the amount of prayer. And, and, and listen, I get that sometimes it is a prayer request. And I get that sometimes um, it is out of care. And I get that sometimes we may need to, 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 to vent to someone, but that venting doesn't need to spread and have legs. In fact, I had a pastor say this as a definition. Gossip is any conversation of which you're not a part of the solution. I'm sorry. Gossip is any conversation of which I am not a part of the solution. And so when it's brought to me, I train the source. Hold up one second. Is this for me? Or is this about y'all? Because the Bible says that, it says in uh, uh, Proverbs uh, 26, 20, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. And so let's not spread legs to this. If, not, if I'm not a part of the solution, then I don't need to hear that. And by the way, I love that God made me a pretty naive. I don't mind saying I'm ignorant at times. Because people are like, have you heard what's going on with these church members? Like, no, I'm totally fine not knowing. <laughs> I feel like God ruins my piece of ignorance whenever he wants me to do something about it. So I'm happily like, can you hear what, do you know what's going on over here? I'm like, no, I'm cool, I'm cool. There is a Holy Spirit, and he's way better at conviction than me. There is a Holy Spirit that I'm going to trust, and he does my job way better than I could. So if you don't cut off the source, it's as good as telling them you, to bring you more. More of this news I like. I will listen to it. I will entertain it, and I will pass it on. But the problem is that puts both of you in spiritual danger. Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. When he says something like that, that means the seventh one is the worst of all. So I'm about to list seven. Listen to the first six, but the seventh one God detests the most. And it says this, um, Here's what the Lord hates. A haughty eyes, a lying tongue, someone who passes it on, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quickly to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and here's the seventh one God detests, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Literally, God's up there going, I loathe that kind of I loathe this water cooler talk, this coffee talk. I loathe this, this before small group after small group talk. I don't, I don't find any pleasure in it whatsoever because it devises, 
it, it, it stirs up dissension and division in the community and they're baited over here right now and they're stuck right here and so the first thing that we have to do is train the source tell them ask yourself who's using me right now God or Satan because if I'm just giving legs to a story that's none of their business who's using me right now God or Satan number two send them directly to the person send them directly to them do not pass go do not collect 100 do not stop at slander city and do not think that I'm free parking for your drama <laughs> come on get my monopoly analogies out somebody help me out. <laughs> remember the Bible says um, in Luke 17 it's impossible that no offense should come to you so it's going to happen but woe to him through whom it comes and so write this down is their sin when they live offended it becomes your sin when it passes through you it doesn't mean that you have to be the start of it you could just be the third person in the line and it becomes equally sinful for me the moment it passes through me and passes through means I don't care if I didn't pass it but maybe some of us are guilty by even association where we should have said before you start is this my business before you start number two did you have a conversation with them because the Bible says this in Matthew 18 15 if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault just between you and the pastor Oh, that's not what it says? Okay. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between you and another church member. That's still not what it says. It says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So guess what happens whenever you get to my office with any sort of offense? My first question, hold up. Before you go any further with all the details and the color and the vivid issues have you talked to them because the bible says to, not to talk to me first you're actually a part of the repairment you're a healer and so you can bring healing to the situation and that doesn't mean you don't have a right to have an issue right now and that doesn't mean that they didn't do you wrong and they need to be corrected but that correction is not from an authority figure that correction starts with you Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about how to walk through forgiveness, but the Bible's very clear that it starts one-on-one. -on -one. If they don't listen, then you might bring one other person with you before you ever take it to the church. And so we can't thwart our own healing and, and, and dismiss the authority that God has set up where he said there's power in you. This is going to be healing for you to approach the subject as well. And so... We're in danger of the same crime of nonchalantly associating with offended people and being complicit in gossip. So we need to, number two, send them directly to them. Number three, change company. All of this can happen before it's ever brought to you. Seven ways to handle scandal. Change your company. Uh, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5.11, you should not associate with a person who calls himself a believer but is a slanderer. Don't even sit down to eat with such a person. 
If you read that scripture, it's going to list out about seven different types of attributes of people you should not sit down with. The immoral, the greedy, it throws in slanderers. So I decided for today's message just to shorten it and make it completely plain. Because your word and my word says you should not even sit down to eat with a slanderer. What's the, what's the topic of tonight's conversation? Oh, something that doesn't involve me. Either we change the subject or my night's done early. I hope you all enjoy the rest of this evening because I rather have serenity now because y'all do know that as much as we all innately like want to lean into it what do we do on the drive home we marinate on it we ruminate on it we start getting offended with the other can you they said that if they would have said that to me I know I would then we try to go to sleep and we're carrying somebody else's offense and we wonder why we can't find serenity now, but we're not even following God right now that we should be training up the source. And if they don't listen, if you train the source and if you say, did you go to them, then you then say this, if you cannot stop bringing that stuff to me, then we change company. I'll find a new group of friends to hang out with. I'll find a new dinner table. I'll find a new social network group of friends to follow because I don't need to be filling myself with this. In fact, write this down. If they don't respect your boundaries, then they don't respect you. I've had Christian barbers before, not here, but in Louisiana. They know everything. Come on, if you know a hairdresser or something, they know everything. Everything's shared with them. And, and, and a lot of that might not be their fault. They just have a conversation. But one thing I know is when I sit down in the chair, he be like, did you know they came to get their haircut too? And they said this and they did this. And I went, hold up, hold up, hold up. Number one, when I come to get my haircut, I prefer to fall asleep than to talk. Anybody else like that? Come on, anybody else just like, come on, you just like, oh, yeah, come on. I'm just falling asleep. And they're like, did you hear you? Yeah, that's good stuff. Did you hear about the... And then did you hear? Yeah, I'm still awake. <laughs> I'm just trying to chill. And one time I said, hey, my friend, I love you. I don't need to know that stuff. So like when I come here, and here's what I was trying to do. I'm sorry if it's too direct. I just think it's not time to, to not share. Um, because what, what I was tempted to do is I'm never coming back to his seat again. I'll just go find another barber. You know, I'm wondering, why did I lose? And so I was just, it's only kind to share. So just, hey, when I'm in your seat, I don't really want to hear all that stuff. And so if, if that's a problem, I don't, you know, I don't mind changing seats. And you're like, oh, no, I just didn't have a clue. Cool, we're good. See, 1 Corinthians 15, says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. So if you surround yourself with a bunch of tail spreaders, you will become that and you will take on their fence and you'll wonder why you can't find any serenity now. Now let's assume that the message gets to you before you can do one, two, or three, and that's going to happen a lot, okay? So let's assume that and, and the next four uh, happen if it happens after the fact and you heard the whole story. Number four, there's two sides to every story. 
This is just good teaching that my mama taught me, right? Come on. Anybody's grandma taught you this one. There's two sides of every story. Because we're all really good at telling our side of the story and going, oh my goodness, how did you not punch him in the nose? Right? Because you could get so offended along with them. I can't believe they said this. You have to actually reserve your thoughts. This is how it plays out in our house. We have um, our two younger daughters. Uh, they, they, they get at it a little bit of time, especially when it's bedtime time you know hey go upstairs do your teeth get, get in your pjs right all of a sudden you hear yelling and screaming ah, and sometimes doors closing all kinds of stuff y'all did it too don't judge us right this is what will happen one will come down daddy she pinched me pinched you we dealt with pinching pinching's a big deal what did you do to her to force her to pinch you i didn't do anything <laughs> and then you hear the other one nah she pinched me first so you pinched her and now you're down here tattling because she pinched you come on then the father ramification comes in you got what you deserve in the story right no come on come on the the moms are like let's fix this let's get above the repent i'm just like hey justice has been served okay no anyway you know a lot of times we could be like that too, thinking that there's just one side of the story, and you're like, she pinched you? Let me go up there and have a word with her. But there's two sides of every story. In fact, I've heard this said before, and maybe you want to write it down. We become great judges of other people's sins and great lawyers of our own. We are great judges of other people's sins. We can come up with a verdict and a sentence so fast. But we're awesome lawyers, like, let me talk it out, let me show you why, it was okay, you know. We got to realize there's two sides of every story. In fact, I was reading Matthew earlier this week. I'm just so surprised at how unjudicial the justice system is for Jesus. That he gets tried of something that they get no evidence of. And the Bible says this, but when the leading priests and elders made their accusations against Jesus, Jesus remained silent. If you're Pontius Pilate, how do you not only convict but crucify someone you've never heard his side of the story? They haven't even pre presented convicting evidence. And he not only said, you're guilty, but you have to die for it. And you and I are the same way when we sentence someone and crucify them before we have ever heard their side of the story. I know, I know, it's a heavy message. You're like, why did we come to church today? I know, I should tell another Boudreaux and Thibodeau joke just to lighten it up a little bit, but I'm just keeping it real because I deal with this too and I have to go, you know what, but, oh, I would so love to tell you what they did to me. That's okay. It's not for you. It's for me. And I have to keep my mouth shut. Number five, give the benefit of the doubt. When you hear news about someone else, Give the benefit of the doubt until you hear. How do, how do we say it in, a, in America? You're innocent until proven guilty. That's not the way it works with social media anymore. You're canceled immediately. <laughs> you're, you're guilty immediately. No, no chance to share. I was at a pastor's retreat recently, and a pastor was grieving because someone made up a story about him and how he handled a, a, a correction. And, and he never, he said this, and I, I understood how he felt because many of you have felt this way too. And if you're a Christian who lives by what God has taught, you're going to feel this way too. He said, I just feel like I never get my day in court. There was another side of the story, but I'm not supposed to stand on stage and tell the other side. So 
he was saying, I just wish people would give the benefit of the doubt. Can I remind you that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit? So the moment news gets to you, you don't go, where's my gun? Where's my spears? Where's my swords? Let's go get them. You say, I am to exercise patience. Because this doesn't sound good right now. This sounds very bad. And I'm really ready to be angry, except I'm going to exercise patience until I know more. 2 Corinthians 13, 1 says, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Somebody hold up two. You should not bring it up unless you have at least two or more fingers up. You're the only person who's told me this. So I'll just wait and see if somebody else brings this to me. Because otherwise, there could be a bias, there could be an issue, there could be an offense in you, and so you just kind of spread in it. So I'm supposed to wait until I get two or three witnesses. And we should do the same thing too. We don't just go off of one person's story. Number six, questions are good. When it comes to you and you have to go to the party like, hey, number six, questions are good, but questioning is bad. And we know the difference. Questions is simply, um, hey, this info came to me by a number of sources. Can you help fill in the gap of what's going on here? That's asking questions. That's a really good approach. Questioning is, I've got a few questions for you. Where were you last night? What were you doing? Who were you talking with? And why are you going to, come on, see, we know the difference. You're like, no, I'm asking questions. No, you're not. You're interrogatingly questioning me. <laughs> and I'm on the defense. And, I, and by the way, let's not forget, gentleness is still on the fruits of the Spirit. So even if there is a legit, this looks bad. The story has been built against you. But I am to exercise patience. And I'm supposed to exercise gentleness as I seek more information, figuring out the process here. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we will have to deal with it for somebody else. We shouldn't have to, but not everybody. You can't expect lost people to act saved. So sometimes saved people aren't going to know how Jesus teaches this. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to have to talk to one kid on behalf of the other kid. Okay, I'm going to have to talk to this person or whatever. And if you do, you should exercise gentleness and patience. And then number seven, and I'll finish, and the team's going to come up with me. Seek peace. Seek peace. Don't seek more offense. Don't seek finger pointing. Seek peace. James 2.12 says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged one day by the law that gives freedom. Act like you're going to be judged by God one day. Act like you're going to have your day in court with God one day. And he's going to ask you how you handled it. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And now say this last sentence out loud with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that last sentence with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. One more time, say it with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment judgment so many of us love judgment I don't know if we all come hardwired that way because I'm gonna admit I do too I want everybody to know that that wasn't my fault and that was so and so and they said this and I didn't do any of that and I just want to get a bullhorn and go hey everybody listen all right here we go let me tell 
I need to have patience. I need to act like God's not too small for this problem to me. I need to act like the Holy Spirit is not confined to only my life. The Holy Spirit can move in everybody's life. I need to act like he is fighting my battles and I don't have to fight them all myself. I need to act like God's got this. And if I'm going to act like God, I'm going to end up behaving like God. There was a story that Jesus made sure was recorded for us where a woman caught in a scandalous situation, caught in bed with a man that wasn't her husband, gets brought by a whole bunch of Pharisees and city leaders and they throw her in front of Jesus and they say, caught red-handed, let's stone her. Let's see what you're going to do. Carry out the law against her. Carry out the full weight of the law. You can see the offense, the charge. The Bible says that Jesus took his finger and started drawing in the sand. Some scholars believe he started writing the names of the women all the accusing people had slept with that weren't their wives. Some scholars believe Jesus might have written down the sins that they have committed. And so one by one, they started leaving. I don't know if that's what he wrote or not. I don't know if he drew a line or if he started writing words or names. I'm not sure what he did, but all of a sudden, people started leaving the scene one by one, dropping their rocks, because Jesus said, he who is, is without sin, you can cast the first stone. Go ahead, throw it at him. Carry out the full weight of the law. Because last I checked, you need mercy just like she needs mercy. And they all started dropping their stones and walking away. Now, Jesus didn't say, that's cool what you did. Go ahead and do it some more. I'll keep forgiving you. No. He said, go. I forgive you too. Go and sin no more. And so in the same way, we need to be the type of people who don't look to exercise judgment rapidly. But we would exercise mercy first. Where we would drop our stones. We would be patient. We would be gentle. We would be kind. To, to carry stones and to throw people out in public and to expose them is to be the Pharisee in that moment going, take them out. Look how dirty they are. I even, but to be the one who drops the stones and expresses mercy is to be the Christ in that situation. And we're called Christian because it means a follower of Christ. I asked Jesus earlier when I was studying this text, but that's hard for me. And are there ever times where, like, we should just publicly expose? And, and, and I think there are times where we need to, where it was under our authority, it was under our jurisdiction, it was what we needed to. I'm talking about the 98% of it where it's not on any of our business. And I think, I, I even asked Jesus, I said, but what about, like, mercy triumph over judgment even even the worst of sins like murder Jesus said do you remember the two people who hung next to me on the cross how swiftly was I to forgive the one who had done nothing right in their life but the moment they expressed you're the Lord you're the son of God please remember me when you come into your kingdom Jesus expressed mercy over judgment it would be so easy to go dude you're a loser how dare you talk to me right now? It's people like you that I'm actually hanging. And that's the point. It was people like even them that he's 
that, that's good, and I didn't plan that. That was Holy Spirit showing up right now. That the people we want to judge and condemn are the same people Jesus is saying, this is the reason I'm hanging right now. I'm bleeding right now, and I'm dying even for their sin so that they would have the hope of repentance. And what did Jesus say with some of his last words? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let us become like that. The beatitude of the week that I finish with is Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Oh, you'll get a lot of opportunities to be gossip spreaders, but it doesn't say that. Blessed are the gossip spreaders, for you will be the life of the party. It doesn't say that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Can I pray for you today? Father, we get so many opportunities that the enemy throws our way to be baited into offense. And so, Father, I pray in this place that you would protect us from offense, that you would ward it off, that you'd be our front and rear guard. Yet, when it inevitably comes, Father, I pray that the, the goal of this message will be achieved, that you would help us expose the enemy's plans to, to disengage it, to, to thwart his plans, that no longer can he cause turmoil in my life and no longer will he pass offense through me, but instead I'm going to become a peacemaker. The news is going to stop with me. The story is going to stop walking with me. And I'm going to find peace in my heart and I'm going to extend peace to others. Father, I pray that that's who we can become, that the enemy's plans will get thwarted in this place. Because when we do it together, Father, I can't imagine how angry the enemy gets that he is no longer offending people no longer hurting people no longer running amok in people's lives no more taking out marriages no more taking out children come on bringing the prodigal children home in Jesus name I pray that you would help us be peacemakers and I thank you that we get the honor of being called children of God with every head still bowed, every eye still closed, if you're in this place and you know I don't have peace with God, there's things that I have done, there's things that I am still doing, there's ways I've acted and I know they're not right with God. I know that if I had to meet God today, I would not want my day of judgment to come because I've got some things that I'm trying to fix. Let me tell you today that you don't have enough strength to fix it. You don't have enough righteous acts to fix it. But Jesus did go to the cross to fix it. It's as if we're sitting at a dinner table and we just rung up the largest bill ever and we know we don't have the money to pay for it. You know that bill is coming. You don't know how soon it's coming, but you know before the night's over that bill is coming. And when it happens, you'll be exposed as I don't have enough to cover it. But Jesus is the one who paid the price for it. So that all you have to do is say, thank you, I receive it. And I want to live to bless you the rest of my life. Not to repay you, not to make things even again, but because you were so kind, because you were so gracious, because your mercy triumphed over judgment. He's not looking to say, I can't believe you ordered the calamari too and you don't have enough to pay for it. He's not looking to say, I can't believe you did this with that person too and you don't have enough to pay for it. I can't believe you're such a screw-up. No, he's not looking to cast judgment. He's looking to cast mercy. And the 
bills paid for anyone who says, that's me. I repent and I give you my life. If that's you in this place, no one's looking around. All heads are bowed, every eye's closed, but I don't want you to be ashamed right now to just say, hey, pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Quickly throw your hand up in the air and put it back down if today you're saying, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ and I'm asking him to forgive me. Thank you. Yes. So awesome. Thank you. All right, church, let's pray out loud with the people I've seen raise their hand, even the people I didn't see, the people who wanted to as well. Everyone repeat after me and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I've made mistakes. I have sinned. I have fallen short of who you've called me to be. But I thank you that Jesus is the Son of God. And he died for me. He took my place so that I could be forgiven. I am a new person now. And thank you that I get to start all over with a peace that surpasses all understanding. I love you, Jesus. You're my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said amen and amen. Come on. Give it-